Thailand World Cup prep, Ireland Wolves and Namibia in South Africa, plus news from Nepal, the USA and all over the world. That's coming up on the Emerging Cricket Podcast. Thank you for joining us again for the Emerging Cricket Podcast online and on Sport FM in Perth. I'm Daniel Beswick, and tonight we are cutlerless or cutless, as it probably should be said. But I do have Nick Skinner with me, better known on Twitter as Copernicus Cricket. How's things? Things are all right. Um, just got a uh, well. It's, now it's lukewarm cup of tea. Uh, we've been faffing around, but. Uh, Keen to get going. Had a lovely sunset this afternoon. Um, what have you been up to, Bess? It was nice, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I was uh, I was actually in your neck of the woods, Nicholas, uh, visiting my parents and then going to cricket training on that finals push. We're uh, comfortably in the top four, so barring a miracle in this uh, last round game, we're in the finals of uh, Central Coast first grade, which is good. Yeah, as I said before, we've given Cutler the night off. He has some family visiting him up in Brisbane, and uh, our schedules didn't quite match up this week, but it's probably a well-earned rest for Timmy. He does the lion's share of the work here at EC overall, so he's preparing for Thailand's World Cup campaign, and that's where we'll start tonight discussing Thailand's World Cup preparation, and they are in Adelaide at the moment. They took on New Zealand in a warm-up game. Uh, They lost by 81 runs, but some positive signs throughout the match and throughout their campaign thus far. The energy's been very good and we've had Nishad Rego on the scene there. He's working uh, as their media manager for the tournament, which is great to see. He's uh, been providing diary entries over every day of their campaign, which have been some fascinating reading, actually. I've really enjoyed them personally. But for Thailand, they're on the precipice of, of something amazing here, competing at a World Cup for the first time. And if you look at the scorecard, uh, Nick, in that game, there were a few positive performances around from the tyres. And I don't think they'll be completely blown away in this tournament. I think that they will have quite a lot of spirit, quite a lot of energy. And then ultimately, I think uh, when it does come to the scorecards, they will look a little bit closer than I think a lot of people may think they might get. Yeah, well, according to Nish, a big part of the problem for them, there were just nerves and, you know, obviously facing New Zealand for the first time and uh, just getting into the swing of a World Cup preparation. It's a, it's a big deal for a bunch of players who've come a long way in a very short period of time. My absolute favourite thing about this Thailand team is, is just the way they play and the team spirit that they have and they really embody the spirit of cricket, don't they? And the ICC Twitter account was doing little, little profiles of each of the captains and the teams and yeah Soren Tipoch the the Thai captain when she was asked you know who's one of your players to look out for or you know who's going to be an exciting player to watch she replied well I can't really single out one of them because we play as a team and the team is is one unit and I just think that's just perfectly sums up the the way they approach the game doesn't it Yeah, well, I was reading some of the updates that I'm guessing Nishad was providing. Uh, Here we go. 50 up in the 10th over as Chinita ramps Tahuhu for a boundary to third man. That, just to have the the guts to to go with a shot like that when you're on uh, an international scene like this, I I know it's a warm-up game, but I think that's irrelevant here. You've got to say that, yeah, they're going to bring a great spirit of of cricket and and the energy, and their bowling is going to be what potentially saves them. But what we did see when they had that brief tour in India before this tournament was that they were able to win games off their bat as well. So they've become quite a versatile team. And, and the thing about the ties, which probably sets them apart from not only associate women's teams, but also a couple of the, the lower uh, full member women's teams is that they actually have 11 players in their team who can all contribute uh, rather well. You know, you do see from time to time, a lot of those teams tend to have maybe three or four really good players and, and the rest 
the quality might slide a little bit. But for Thailand, it does look as if, you know, if someone gets called upon to bowl four tight overs, uh, it seems that they're capable of doing that. So looking forward to that, we're, we're going to be at various parts of the country. Nishad, of course, is following them around as a member of their staff for this tournament. But Tim will be in Perth for their match over there. We're traveling to Canberra on a bit of a road trip. Nick and I reminds me, uh, Nick, I've got to get you that emerging cricket shirt out to you as well. Uh, but that'll be quite fun. The, the Wednesday and the Friday next week, they're taking on, I believe it's South Africa and the English, I think, uh, in those two in those two games. So, well, it, it's going to be exciting. And I think they're targeting the Pakistan game as the game that they could potentially win in their group because they have been thrown a, a very difficult group. But I, I think they'll put in a few good performances over the course of the tournament. Yeah, absolutely. And just as you were saying, the, the, the fact that they have players that can contribute all the way down, Nishad was saying, uh, seeing Onicha Kamchompu um, smashing Tahuhu for with a hook shot for six, that's the sort of shots that they can play. And so I guess it's a case of needing to execute their skills uh, consistently. And, and that's the, the big step up. And this goes for all, you know, associate cricket and the gap in quality, as we've seen, is uh, reducing. It's not usually the skills that are lacking. It's it's the application and the discipline. And, you know, they're capable of pulling off these shots, but they, they just don't quite have the concentration to, to last for a longer innings. So Thailand's approach of playing as a team and, and of being very disciplined in the way they play is, I think, going to put them in good stead in terms of bridging that gap. And if they can actually put it together, I think they will be very competitive. You know, there, there's a reason they won 17 games in a row last year and it's not because they're a bad team yeah that, that's no fluke i don't care what level you play at if you can win 17 matches in a row and break a world record just as the icing on the cake you've got to be doing something right and the discipline and the coaching and, and just the drilling into the team has to be good for consistency like that and just to move on from this after the world cup they're hosting a quad series in april hosting ireland scotland and zimbabwe you know to say 10 years ago that thailand would be hosting a women's four team tournament two full members plus scotland people would have called you crazy but it just goes to show you know when there is potential for growth the growth can materialize and i hope as well and you know we might touch on the ICC plans in scheduling from 2023 onwards at the end of the show I know we made a bit of a pact that we'll only get there if time permits because we're both really angry about that but if we do see Thailand perform admirably at this tournament it is proof once again that you know if you do give opportunities for associate members they do play up a lot of the time you know we can think of several instances of associate members and lower full members in in giant killings in world cups and Thailand has the potential to do that right now in, in front of an Australian audience. But to move on again to this tour that they are hosting, Nick, it, it's a great sign of where cricket's going and, and for Ireland, Scotland and Zimbabwe to all acknowledge that Thailand is a place of immense cricketing growth and to have that series there, it, it can only bode well for Thailand in the future even after participating at a World Cup. Well, the interesting thing is 10 years ago, you're right, you, you probably wouldn't have expected to see this sort of series happening, but they're just about would-be favourites, I would say, their women's team. The only question, Zimbabwe hasn't been playing much recently due to their admin administrative problems but the only question I would say would be the whether they can translate their 2020 form into the 50 over format which has been a stumbling block for associates in the past but yeah you know they they went past Ireland in that qualifier to get here to get to the World Cup and that was an exciting game so I'm looking forward to this series and as you say it's 50 overs it will, it's going into the upcoming global qualifier for the uh, women's 50 over World Cup which which is of course occurring next year 
Yeah, as you said, Nick, it's been a long time since Zimbabwe have played competitive cricket. It was actually all the way back in June last year, and we know about all the troubles that, that occurred in Zimbabwe cricket and hopefully some brighter days in Zimbabwean cricket. And yeah, for Ireland and Scotland, who didn't qualify for this T20 World Cup, Ireland qualified for the T20 World Cup before in the West Indies. And I think that just highlights just how good this Thai team had to be to even qualify for this tournament. To move on now, and from Zimbabwe, we can go to Uganda and the Uganda men's team. They've just finished a bilateral tour of Qatar in which they played the Qatar national team in three T20 internationals. They also played two 50 over matches against the Qatar President's 11. Quite a successful tour in a way. They, they did manage to win one of the T20 internationals and one of the 50 over matches. Away from home, you know, several teams can't boast that same record. Uh, looking at some of their performers, guys like Kenneth Wisewa contributed uh, with both bat and ball. For the Qataris, it's great just to host cricket at the West End. Park International Cricket Stadium as well just shows that the golf and cricket are growing quite well across all the national teams we have seen Oman perform admirably in Cricket World Cup League 2 as well but you alerted me to a record here involving Frank Unsabuga Nicholas do you want to elaborate on that because I don't really want to uh, steal the scoop off you <laughs> uh, I think I'm just repeating something Andrew Nixon mentioned earlier. So, you know, full credit to him. But yeah, Frank Nusbuga has played uh, a match in four decades now. He started way back in the 90s playing for the Eastern Central Africa 11, actually, before Uganda had a national team. Uh, so that he's been playing cricket longer than Uganda has. But yes, yeah, so he's gone from the 90s, the 2000s, the 2010s, and now he's into the 2020s. He's, he's not even 40 yet. So he, he'll be pushing well into the 2020s, I reckon. And looking at this series, he's still was bowling really well, keeping it really tight. He, he went at a fraction over six in a really high-scoring series where most of the other bowlers, I think, were, were going at sevens or nines even. So that was really impressive for him. And he's just one of those bowlers that's very hard to get away. And I remember talking a couple of weeks ago about, you know, potential associate picks in T20 leagues. And I think Frank Nussabuga is the kind of guy that would be very valuable to a T20 franchise because he, he just keeps it so tight and he rushes through overs that the, the batsmen sort of don't know what to do. So I, I'm a big fan of his. Looking at the UK Ugandans overall, though, they just struggled a little bit with the bat. No one went past 100 in terms of runs for the series in the T20s, uh, whereas three of the Qatari batsmen did. So that sort of shows you the, the difference. Um, young Frank Akankwaza was a, was an exciting find for them. He, he smashed 66 in the first match that they well, they lost that game, but he, he put up a, a valiant resistance. And my tip for uh, Zephaniah Aronitway is one to watch out for has uh, so far been a bit of a bust as he's uh, really struggled for form. He's a big hitting opening batsman, but yeah, he just hasn't got going. Uh, and that basically has sunk them, the fact that they just couldn't get the runs on the board. Looking at the, the stream, I watched most of the second game where Cameron Khan smashed 68 and the pitch, it was a bit sluggish and I think that's probably what did the Ugandans. And so it's good that they're getting some more practice in here, getting used to the, the more kind of spinning, slow, sluggish conditions. Um, I was interested to see Tamur Sajad was missing and, and he was skipper for Qatar in their um, Asia T20 regional finals where they famously beat Nepal and, and contributed to Nepal uh, missing out on the global qualifiers and so it was interesting that they they didn't pick him potentially it was it was just a work thing i don't know there's there's not a lot of information coming out of qatar they're sort of a bit like oman were a couple of years ago just yeah. uh, going about their business not really um publicizing much which is a bit disappointing but yes their top order really was was the difference between them and the ugandans ultimately yeah well you, you talk about oman and i think even still today they don't really leak a lot of information out they do like to keep their cards close to their chest it, going back to uganda i'm hoping to hear 
hear Frank Akinkwas's name a bit more given his age and, and, and given the ability so young. It's quite rare in, in associate cricket to be able to showcase that skill and, and to provide you know your team such a valuable contribution making 66 off 32 balls in that first T20 international. I've just noticed that he doesn't have a Wikipedia page. So uh, lug nuts, we know you're listening. Uh, <laughs> if you can get on to that, that would be ideal. But yeah, again, um, full credit to the Qataris for getting a stream up. We know, again, going back to Oman, they failed to have a stream up for their Challenge League leg. And we are hearing from Andrew Leonard, actually, that some future Omani stuff will be uh, streamable, which is a positive sign moving forward. You know, people do want to watch this Oman. And we know that, you know, you aren't exactly strapped for cash at this point. So hopefully things will get there eventually. But to go back to Qatar once more and, and reminiscing about that win over Nepal in the T20 Asian qualifier. The scoreboard actually, if anything, flattered Nepal. They were well beaten by Qatar that day. So you would think that, you know, given Qatar's full availability of players, and we know that availability is a different kettle of fish in associate cricket, if they do put it together, they could have quite a good squad on their hands. And yeah, looking forward to potentially another power from the Middle East. You know, we've seen Oman develop into such a brilliant side at associate level. And I think they're only going to improve with some more competition from their neighbors around them. And Qatar might just be the team that provides that. Yeah. And, and the thing with all these teams in the Gulf is we've talked about it before but just the fact that they're you know airline hubs very easily accessible means that they're a good stopover for teams on the way somewhere else you know as we've seen Uganda's uh, going to India to do some more prep games uh, against some club sides so obviously stopping off in Qatar was was just a logical thing to do I I was a bit disappointed with the crowds I mean obviously Qatar's not a big you know big draw card but looking at these teams in in the Middle East where there is a a large subcontinent um, migrant worker population and yeah you would hope that they might get a bit more support for their adopted country you know the crowds do turn out in the Middle East for full member cricket so yeah it's just a little bit disappointing that they can't seem to quite find the same enthusiasm for their you know for their own players well I would I would just quickly add that that it's probably the exposure that would be the biggest part of you know bringing people or full member fans into associate cricket you know we we can sit here as a podcast and say that there isn't much coverage and, and we're providing some sort of coverage but ultimately it comes down to the work that a lot of these associate boards one are able to do because we know that you know in some places the resources are scarce and it can be very difficult to to put these things out there for people because there's just such little money going around but yeah if you can manage to get that exposure is to, to harness it because you, again you look at the way that Oman and, and UAE and Qatar their population and how that where that population actually comes from whether it's you know native people or workers coming into the country you know you would think that there'd be enough interest in developing the game no matter you know what people's background and then it ties back in and we have this discussion all the time and i'm trying to piece together an article about this but the idea of so-called expat players in some of these countries well you know you need to actually look back and see how a lot of these populations are put together and 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 what the split is between people who have come as immigrants to certain countries and how many natives are there and then to look at it from a cricketing perspective, it's very, very difficult for some of these countries to be completely, you know, for a lack of a better term, you know, indigenous. Um, all knowledge comes from somewhere, right? It's We get this with someone like Pavel Florin at Romania. You know, he didn't pick up a cricket bat because he saw a cricket bat and he wanted to play. He came about it through being inspired by something else, by someone else, by a team, by a group of players or, or, or something like that. It's the same as, you know, we, we've actually seen Pavel Florin represent his country in American football as well. You know, he's not, he's not an American. 
American living in, in Romania. He's a Romanian native who has been exposed to this sport. So the only way you can develop this growth in people of a native background is to expose them to a new sport. And it sometimes has to just start from an expat community. And we hear about guys who are living and working in far-flung places around the world. We talked to Chris Pierce from the Czech Republic who's teaching people as an Englishman in the Czech Republic about cricket. We hear from Craig White in Mexico who's English teaching Mexicans about cricket. You know, all knowledge comes from somewhere. So there's plenty of facets to it. And, and we'll be talking about this in articles by several people because it is a hot topic at the moment. Um, but yeah, it all ties in together. You know, when we do talk about associate cricket, every single factor all comes from all these intertwining factors of, of how things are played out and the way that people view these as well. Yeah, there's a lot going on there. It's it's a really big topic. Yeah, I apologize to you and I apologize to the audience. Oh, no, no, no. I, I love it. I mean, this is the sort of stuff. I could do a whole series of podcasts on this. But the, the thing that I would point out, in a lot of these Gulf countries, you know, it, it's a unique political situation where the so-called indigenous population, which, you know, people complain about, oh, they're all expats, there's no Arabs, whatever. But a lot of the time, the, the Arabs are actually the minority in that country. So in a lot of ways, the team is actually an accurate reflection reflection of the cricket scene in these golf countries at least which again is, is why I would sort of hope that they would get a bit more enthusiasm for their well for the team um, in terms of you know growing the game and, and you, you bring up the example of Pavel Florin and how you know he must have been inspired by someone and you know you look at his Cluj uh, cricket club the the cult heroes of last year's ECL and um, most of them are not Romanian and you know Pavel is a bit of an exception in that case it, it's getting you know a bit better with uh, the next generation you know he's his son's actually playing cricket as well, so potentially there's a, another generation of Florins coming through. But y- y- how did cricket spread originally? You know, it was the British Empire. How did cricket get to India, which is now the you know world's dominant force in cricket? And um, well, it got to India through the British, through expats playing the game and, and the locals deciding to pick it up. So at some point, you've got to have someone from another country bringing cricket in because, as you say, it's 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 very uncommon for someone to just sort of randomly decide to start liking a sport without actually seeing it around them and and for it to start developing some mind space so yeah as, as you say it has to come from somewhere and uh, in, in a lot of countries we're at the stage where it's being spread by people coming from somewhere else and that's fine the the only thing is we need to as cricket we in the sense of uh, a cricket as a, as a whole you know the, the global way yeah yeah, uh, need to capitalize on that and make sure that, you know, in addition to just having games in the park and, and people noticing that these these immigrants are playing this strange game, converting that into an actual cricket scene that, that is, um, you know, self-sustaining. And, and that's the big challenge for the ICC and, and um, local boards as well. Yeah, just to, to finish up on this, and, and this is something we'll talk about uh, in more depth, but, you know, with an Olympic Games this year um, and all the sports that come from that, I always remember, you know, watching a lot of these Olympic sports and being kind of inspired and, you know, watching handball in the Olympics and being like, oh, you know, I wonder if I can join a, an Australian handball set up or, you know, just join and play in a league because this is really cool. I'm sure that other people, you know, if, if cricket was to be an Olympic sport and that's something that has come up again in, in the cricketing discourse and, and it's for another podcast on another day and bringing in countries like China who will be able to to see that and, and look to, to build their, their cricket to perform at the Olympic Games because ultimately that's China's sporting barometer is Olympic gold medals. It's only another way for the for the sport to improve. But yeah, again, just to kind of finish up, you know, cricket has to come from somewhere and knowledge being imparted. You know, for, for many of us, 
we were lucky we had junior coaches already in well-established clubs around Australia and around the cricketing world where we're taught these things, you know, for, for other people who aren't as lucky but are really interested in cricket. It takes the Chris Pierces and, and the Craig Whites to, you know, help them out and to, to introduce them to the sport. And that's why we try and check in with them as much as we can because that's ultimately where the next dimension of cricket growth is going to come from, from countries like that. But anyway, Nick, I'm going to use this gavel I have in my hand and end this conversation for another podcast. I'm sure Tim is cringing listening to us talk about this for the upteenth time. Uh, some more cricket coming out of Africa or at least an African team. And Namibia, well, I, I would say hosted uh, the Island Wolves, but the matches have been held in South Africa. So both countries moving to a neutral venue. Uh, as we record tonight, there has been two T20 matches between the Island Wolves and Namibia A. So the Island Wolves essentially an Island A team. Uh, Namibia won the first match by three wickets in the last over, chasing down a total, while Ireland Wolves managed to win the second T20 by 24 runs. As we see, well, encouraging performances by both sides, but something that we saw, and this is well established from his amazing 2019, Herat Erasmus is one of the best players in the associate game. To come out and play the way he has, providing pretty much a match-winning knock in the first game, a contribution in the second. He's the captain of Namibia. There a one-day international team. You know, he's got to be a rock star in Namibia now, surely. You know, the guy is just going from strength to strength. But if you do come back to it, it's a great hit out for both these countries. We do know that it's quite difficult for a lot of these members to put together tours like this and, and the financial strain that probably puts on these countries. But to get what they need to get out of this, you know, both countries with huge 2020s coming up. And these guys, some of them on the periphery, or at least, you know, on the, on the fringe of being selected for their international teams, get a good chance to audition in front of you know, coaches and selectors for future international cricket. Yeah, I like the way that Namibia have gone about this and they've picked Erasmus and a couple of other senior guys, Lex Holtz and, and Williams, so that, you know, the, the young guys coming through can get a bit of a feel for playing with them and, and vice versa. And so it, it's sort of a, an experimental way of, I guess, blooding in the, the fringe players. Uh, it, was, it was good to see some guys like Eaton and, and Lungameni get a bit of a hit out. And um, their new, I think he's a recruit, Ruben Trumpelman, bowling quite handily in, in both the games. I believe he's played some South African domestic cricket. I'm not quite sure what the connection is. Yeah, we we might need to go to our, our Namibian sources. I uh, might have to inbox SP, actually. Shout out to one of our mates from uh, from Namibia. Usually knows what's going on. But yes, so they, they seem to have unearthed a, another handy bowler. You know what, Nick? Sorry, I'm going to message him right now and see if he replies because he's that kind of guy. He will get back to me straight away. Yeah, and, and obviously Erasmus doing the bulk of the work with the batting so far. Um, good to see Green getting hit out as well. They've experimented a lot with the opening combination. I see they've got Davin back there as well, and Green has opened in the past. So it's, I guess, a bit of a, a window into where Namibia are thinking they might go in the future. And in terms of the Irish side, Delaney showing again why he's touted as one of the, the best prospects. Played some, uh, had a really fantastic innings in the um, global qualifier for the T20 World Cup. I should probably clarify too, I think I said Namibia A as we got started. It is technically the Namibia first 11, uh, we're led to believe, but they are close to a, a second 11. Uh, JJ Smith is not on the tour. A couple of other guys being rested as well, uh, the likes of Villian and and a few other players as well, which gives the chance for the likes of Nicole Lofty eat. Nico Davin comes back in. Picky Yafran's batted at three in one of the games as well. So I believe it is actually their national team in advance commas, but they have sort of rested a few players for the squad. Yeah, and I guess just testing out their yeah their bench strength by the looks of things. Yeah, as we do wait for SP's response uh, to to pick up 
uh, on what you said, Gareth Delaney is set to be that sort of breakout player for the next probably 12 to 24 months. I know that he's put in a couple of excellent performances already in the last 12 months, but that spot was relatively open for him in the Irish national team, and it seems like he's done just about everything to nail a spot. And he's the perfect guy in that situation too, because if there was one thing that Ireland did need was that hitter in the middle order. You know, we we know the class of Balberni, but his strike rate probably won't be any higher than, say, 130, 140. Uh, and we know Kevin O'Brien and Sterling are going to do the job at the top of the order, uh, but it was the middle order where we did notice for Ireland, especially in that qualifier, it was exposed a little bit. And whilst they did qualify, I think it must be said that they probably didn't play at their best, which probably just, if anything, is a testament to how good Ireland is. But to add Delaney into that, and as a bowling option as well, I think he he adds another dimension to this Irish team uh, in the in the in the shorter formats. Anyway, I'm not exactly sure how he would go in the longer format. We haven't really seen enough cricket from him to determine that. But yeah, I think he's just the perfect player that Ireland need in that middle order to really push on. And while I think about it too, and Dan Bredig actually. Uh, uh, reminded us all of this was that Nick Larkin has actually represented Ireland and still would qualify for Ireland after that successful big bash he had for the Melbourne Stars. I'm not exactly sure what it would take for him to be in that Irish team or whether or not you know they see eye to eye on his selection but he could easily do a job for them as well so they do have a little bit more depth than they probably had maybe 12 months ago Ireland and I think you know if we were to look you know into our crystal ball with the T20 World Cup coming up I can't see why the likes of Delaney and Larkin couldn't do a job for a team like Ireland. Yeah, Larkin's an interesting case. He reminds me of, um, well, just as the squad was selected, they brought in Curtis Camphor, who's a South African domestic player who has grown up in South Africa, but but has an Irish passport. Uh, and he, he hasn't played so far. Potentially, he'll, he'll get a game by the time this podcast comes out. But it caused a, a bit of controversy in being selected, you know, with, with a lot of comments um, I guess this goes back to the passport players and, and expats and that that whole can of worms. But you know, there there were some comments from Irish fans about how you know what does this say for guys who are coming through the Irish system and that you know they're just going to parachute in someone else. And you know, this applies to a lot of associate cricket teams around the world. With yeah, you know, it's it's a delicate balance, and we have talked about this, but you know, bringing in talent, but also rewarding people coming through the domestic scene. It's it's a tricky one. Uh, in terms of Nick Larkin, I think potentially now that Ireland are full members, there would be some eligibility issues with him, his domestic contract with New South Wales and the Stars. And just, I, I guess this is something that we also mentioned in our discussion about the Big Bash and um, Ireland losing the, in inverted commas, privilege of an associate team in, in that you can't just swap between them. So, yeah, that I think is the main obstacle for Larkin or, or I mean I don't know if there's anything off the field as well but um, that that's sort of the main administrative obstacle I can see going back to this Ireland Wolves team I was really happy to see Rock getting a game you know, they, they've gone to Lorcan Tucker in the past as sort of the next generation of keeping and I honestly haven't been very impressed with his technique so it's good to see them experimenting with someone else and, and hopefully I mean Lorcan Tucker is good enough to play as a batsman so potentially if he, he could just focus on that and, and having a, a specialist keeper which is something that teams have played around with a bit in the past in 2020 cricket um, but I think it's something that deserves a bit more of a uh, an extended run you know we saw Australia a few years back play with Neville as their specialist keeper batting down at I think number eight or nine and uh, even thinking back to 
some county cricket a few years ago that uh, Michael Bates had a run in some 2020 cricket and he was a spectacular keeper and the logic was that you know having a good keeper will save you runs in terms of you know uh, extras and, and being able to take those sharp chances that another keeper might not and I think that has a lot of merit to it so so you know looking at the way Ireland play I think having a bad keeper is not really ideal so yeah I'd be happy to see that Go ahead. Well, what I will finally add is that A tours and Island Wolves and, and Namibia experimenting with their team, I think tours like this are invaluable because the problem that we do see for a lot of international teams at that level is the depth. You know, they quite often have 11 players who can play extremely well, but when one goes down and a player comes in, the difference is, well, there's there's a stark contrast uh, a lot of the time between a player coming in and a player who's had to miss out either through injury or another situation. So, you know... What you just need to do is is to be able to try and simulate high pressure match situations like on these A tours and yeah okay that you know they're not playing for sheep stations you know they're not playing for the be all and end all they're not playing for a world cup sorry I'm using an Australianism here but <laughs> yeah it's just if you can simulate that action and, and, and blood people for international cricket it can only be a good thing and once they do make that jump in official international cricket then the golfing class and the adjustment for them is, is not as heavy it's just the same as when guys come through the grades and then say into shield cricket and the reason why a lot of New South Wales cricketers do well when they come come from grade cricket is that first grade cricket in Sydney is often regarded as the highest level of amateur cricket you can find anywhere around the world so it's just about that preparation train hard play easy is a mantra that a lot of people use and I think A tours are probably a good example of that well we just talked about depth in the Irish setup uh, to move to a, an associate member and Nepal and this was broken to us at least by Rajan Shah better known uh, on Twitter as Momo Cricket well they've just rolled out uh, central contracts for 24 men's cricketers and 18 women's cricketers for the 24 men it's been uh, put into four tiers A plus A B and C while for the 18 women it's in three tiers of A B and C so with Canreen stated and now a little bit more stability in Nepal there been able to do that so a congratulations to them there hasn't been any news of a new men's coach just yet Jagat Tamata will take on a caretaker role as they do look for a new coach there's a couple of rumors going around and I will mention them afterwards uh, but there's also some more news coming out of Nepal in regards to multi-day cricket. And the Kathmandu Cricket League has been renamed as the Himalaya Cricket League. And it will be played in two-day format matches uh, starting from the 17th of February. So that's early this week as we do record the show. Uh, it includes the top six academies from Kathmandu Valley participating in the event. And it's been sponsored as well. It'll be interesting to see how this goes two-day matches which can only be a good thing for Nepal it's something they've been uh, lacking a little bit Uh, to go back to that rumor I sort of teased before talking to a couple of people who were present for the World Cup League 2 in Nepal last week and you could probably make out who we are talking about well they thought they spotted one Australian Andy Bickle uh, as a VIP guest uh, for that leg of the tournament. It was either Andy Bickle or Andy Bickle's doppelganger. Um, That's yet to be confirmed, but we talk of a new coach... Uh, being shrouded in mystery. I'm sure that's a name that we'll probably hear more about over the coming weeks. There's been rumors of, of Dougie Brown after he's sacking it at UAE. I don't know how strong those links are, but Nick, again, uh, the Cricket Association of Nepal moving forward a little bit further again. We've we've seen their reinstatement late last year, uh, a rollout of central contracts, now a two-day 
uh, at least a multi-day format tournament for some Nepali players but at this stage it's still for development's sake and for cricket's sake domestically it seems to be these franchise tournaments and pop-up tournaments around the country that are carrying the development of these senior players in Nepal and not the board taking the onus and, and launching domestically run state competitions or province competitions. Yeah, it's interesting this um, situation where there's kind of the, the, the board is giving out contracts, but the contracts are going to people who are not playing in board organised cricket. Um, the fact that they do have contracts is certainly a, a good step forward and you know, indicative of, as you said, a bit more stability. And you know, hopefully that allows them to train full time or, or, or at least train more and you know really develop those skills and, and the discipline. Again, we talked about this before, but you know, Nepal's team has has a lot of talent, but they they just haven't quite had the discipline to execute consistently and so just if they are contracted i think that that will certainly help it's interesting that they've got 18 women contracted as well so i think that's a a positive step and and it shows that they're taking the women's game seriously and we saw a couple of months ago the uh, women's domestic franchise competition which was a, a good start as well so you know nepal came second to thailand in the asian qualifiers and so they're not too far off the pace and yeah it's it's another good opportunity for them to try and move up those rankings uh, because you know as we've seen the the capacity to move ahead in women's cricket it's, it's still a wide open field uh regarding the coaching news <laughs> The, the Andy Bickle rumours are interesting because Bickle has uh, dipped his toe in into associate cricket in the past. Uh, he, he's done some work with PNG, so it wouldn't be a complete surprise. In terms of who you would want to be coaching Nepal, um, I think Pabudu Dasanayak is available. He uh, certainly had a lot of success with Nepal um, a few years back, and he's slated to be coaching one of the EPL sides uh, later in the year, so potentially that's him... Uh, looking to to get back into Nepali things. And also, as we heard last week, Dougie Brown is newly available and and a very successful coach. So depending on who they go with, I think CAN has mentioned that they want someone with full member experience, which I'm not necessarily convinced is the be-all and end-all of uh, of cricketing experience. But if if that's the path they want to go down, um, I think Bickle would, would be a decent pick. Yeah, the Nepali role is a bit of a halfway house, isn't it? And yeah, they've made it quite clear in Nepal that they want someone with full member experience. And I think it's fair to question that importance because for someone like Pabudu Nasanayake, he has this this sense of, of both coming from a full member but also having the experience of working with associate countries. And I think at this level, you do need that experience because you're, as I said, to, to start the point, it is a bit of a halfway house sort of role. You're technically coaching in, in some facets, but then you're providing this, your mantras and providing this idea of, of how to manage a game from a leadership point of view as well. And I think Tim made that point, well, a couple of weeks ago on the pod where, okay, yes, you know, for many of these players, they, at the high end of, of associate cricket, they should have a pretty fair understanding of their own game and their own techniques. Uh, but Tim made a very good point, you know, in some associate places, you do have to start a little bit further back and, and to take it back technically and to, to iron out a few things as well. So I, I think Dustin Iker would be a great option. He's been there before, he's won there before, he's got a proven track record there he unearthed Sandy Lamachane you know that's just that should be on his resume front and center someone like Dougie Brown I think would do an excellent job as well I think can need to be careful what they wish for because you know someone coming in with full member experience yeah it's great on the resume to say that you have experience coaching in you know Australia or India or England but for the Australian guys who have worked with PNG and there's been several you know we've 
seen Andy Bickle, as you said. We've seen Joe Dawes there now. We've seen Jason Gillespie there. We've also actually seen New Zealand's Ross Taylor work in, in a coaching capacity there as well. It's because they understand when they go into PNG what the idea of PNG cricket and their and their level of development is about. And you know, they can actually liaise and bring PNG cricket from a position of where they need development, you know, almost grassroots development, but some key technical facets of their game improved. Whereas I think Nepal are looking for some super coach like a like a football manager who can work wonders in two weeks. And cricket isn't quite the same thing where, you know, you there's more responsibility laid on the shoulders of a captain, for example, and how his team wants to push on in the game and how he uses his bowlers. And and, and to be fair to Gyanendra Maller and Paris Kadka, his predecessor, and I'm sure Kadka had plenty to say for Maller in, in imparting his knowledge as well. Paris Kadka is still probably one of, if not the most important members of that team when it comes to on-field marshalling and marshalling the troops because he he knows what it's like and he, he takes the responsibility on his shoulders with the bat. And, you know, Mala has struggled a little bit with the bat as well. So I think Dougie and I think Pabuda Dasanaika should be the top two in their priorities list. But we know what Nepal's like and, and they're attracting or their attraction to uh, full member talent. It'll be interesting to see where they go with this. And, yeah, Jagger Tamada taking the role on a caretaker basis, but he won't be the permanent measure there. So, yeah, we'll be very interested to see how that all turns out. Um, before we move on as well, um, we talk about a couple of other things to round out the show um, and talking about coaching shuffles. Uh, Steve Tickelow, who was working for the Ugandan national team, previously a batting coach for his native Kenya, he's actually been appointed as the head coach of Tanzania. So we look forward to their development there. Tickelow referred to as probably the greatest Kenyan batsman of all time, perhaps even cricketer of all time. And he knows he knows African cricket back to front. So he's a good appointment there. I'm sure he'll bring a lot of experience to that role. That's a, that's a role I can definitely personally get behind. Uh, but to move on to a few more shuffles in back rooms and, and staff, Tim Cutler broke this story a few days ago that Richard Doan has been appointed by USA Cricket as their cricket operations manager. Uh, he worked most recently as the high-performance manager, working with the likes of Afghanistan and, and Ireland as well through their journey through the ranks into full membership. So he brings uh, a ton of credentials, Nick. And for USA, a team and, and a country in terms of cricket, they don't really seem to like the plain sailing. There always seems to be a lot of shuffles around that board and around the staff members there too. We could say that, that Richard Doan might give them a little bit more stability in terms of their development off the field uh, as well as on. Well, uh, I think that depends on whether they listen to what he tells them. Um, I know he spent a lot of time at the ICC putting forward a lot of very good ideas that uh, then had to be filtered through the um, the interests of you know, various special groups uh, in the boardroom. And We've also seen with USA Cricket with the the um, uh, so-called partnership with ACE and, and their you know desire to to interfere. I would say with the the operations of the cricket board. You know, it's a pretty complicated situation, and and potentially he's going to have a lot of the same troubles of of you know implementing his ideas. But if I was running a cricket board, Richard Doan would would definitely be on my list of candidates to to appoint because he he knows what he's doing. And the thing about Richard Doan is that he's passionate and that he 
actually wants these teams to succeed. And, you know, he's, um, I guess, what you would call a true believer. You know, he, he genuinely wants associate cricket to grow and, and for the game to grow. And that in itself is a really important quality, I think, when, when you're appointing people. And, you know, you talked about the reputational thing of, of four members and, you know, how that goes in Nepal. And that's one thing. But having a guy who actually genuinely just really, really wants uh, you know, cricket to develop is at least as important as having played test cricket, probably more. Um, but, you know, we see a lot of appointments that are just, oh, this guy this guy used to play for India or whoever, and he, he must be good because they played cricket. But the thing is, administration is not the same skill as actually playing. And, you know, just because you're good at hitting a cricket ball doesn't mean you're actually good at, at thinking about things in a, a you know, a, a more technical or administrative standpoint. So actually having a specialist in this field like Dhoni is fantastic and, and it's a good appointment, but I think, yeah, he's got his work cut out for him, put it that way. Well, I've got some breaking news before we before we do move on uh, towards the end of the show. Uh, SP got back to me, Nick. Oh. Uh, and he says that uh, he doesn't know too much about Trumpelman as well. He does know, though, that Trumpelman's dad was born in Namibia and therefore he would qualify um, it's all about sort of organizing a passport. But this, because this tour was in South Africa, it was a good opportunity for him to sort of trial with the Namibian team. That's from SP Van Vyke, one of our friends of, of the Emerging Cricket podcast and the Emerging Cricket movement. So a huge thank you to you, SP. You've got to mention on the podcast. But yeah, that's great. That's Yeah, that's that's good to know. Uh, and, and Namibia leaving no stone unturned with their preparation. I don't think they need to make too many changes, just as a final thought before we do move on. I think they've got the bones of a very good international team there, and I think they will definitely provide a few upsets and, and a few news stories when we do get to the T20 Men's World Cup, of course, the T20 Women's World Cup, going on, well, now, as you listen to the show. So all our focus will be drawn to that for now. Uh, a couple more things before I do let you go, Nick, as we do move late into the night here. Uh, an independent assessment has found the action of Nisarg Patel of the USA to be deemed illegal, and he has been suspended from a bowling from international cricket with immediate effect. It was something we wanted to bring up, and, and Nick, you raised a good point this week while we were talking about the pod. It seems like the rules surrounding illegal actions in emerging cricket, or at least in associate member cricket, is a little bit murkier uh, because the idea of someone rectifying their action, it seems a little bit more difficult for them to get back into the swing of things. You know, we know that Salador is still out for Singapore, uh, which which left a huge hole in the Singapore team in that T20 World Cup qualifier. Uh, a 3D for Uganda as well is, is still out. It just seems to be a very difficult thing to come back from in the associate game. Uh, there's a couple of points. Uh, the first one is that in terms of associate cricket and the the granularity, you know, when when full member teams you know have chucking issues, it's usually for a certain delivery. You know, like a bowler's slower ball or a, or a bowler's doozer or whatever is deemed to be suspicious. Whereas in associate cricket, typically it's just the bowler is just as a whole not allowed to bowl, which that in itself is is somewhat unfair. But you know, a, a function of the fact that. They probably don't have the same level of forensic replays available, you know, to determine which particular delivery is, is suspicious. But the other point, of course, is coming back from being banned. You know, a full member board has the cash to actually send a bowl around the world to testing centres and, and remodelling their actions and, and all that sort of thing. Uh, whereas 
presumably Singapore and Uganda probably don't have that kind of money to, to just send guys on a, you know, put them on a plane to Perth or, or wherever the testing centre is. And I think that's a, a, a big problem that the ICC needs to look at in, in terms of it, it's the same rule ostensibly that, you know, you have to have your action remodeled. But in terms of the practice, the way it's actually applied, it, it's grossly unfair to associates because they just can't afford to do that. So potentially the ICC could look at, um, you know, subsidizing that for boards that can't afford it because otherwise, you know, you, you look at associate teams and a lot of the time they don't quite have the depth that, that full members do. And so if you lose one of your frontline bowlers, that's going to be more of an issue than than if, you know, one of Australia's bowlers is called for chucking because, you know, they've, they've got a production line of good bowlers coming through the shield. Whereas in Uganda or Singapore, they, they don't have that same depth. So, so losing a guy is going to be a lot more of, a, of an issue. Thanks for joining me for the Emerging Cricket Podcast this week. Once again, Nicholas, and uh, hopefully next week with our full complement and with Cutler back in the side, we can go through some of that proposed 2023 to 2031 scheduling because I think that's right in Tim Cutler's wheelhouse that I, I think he'd be quite angry if he, if he missed out on that chat. Yeah, we might be recording from Canberra next week, I think. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah, next Wednesday is Canberra. Yeah, we'll both be there going on a road trip that morning. I believe you're staying down there for the night and probably for the next game as well. Yeah, got some uh, family in Canberra that I can stay with, uh, which is convenient. Oh, must be nice. Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll definitely be attending the first game and depending on the work situation for me, I'll hopefully try and get out to the second game as well, but I'm not putting too much pressure on that. But yeah, it'll be a road trip. We'll probably leave around the same time. I'll meet you at Sutton's Forest on the way down there. Maybe I've got to give you an emerging cricket shirt as well. <laughs> Been thinking for the last couple of weeks, oh, how am I going to get this shirt before the b- before we get to the game? But And then you realize I live on the way for you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it just depends which house I'm going to be at because I'm, I'm in the process of moving as well. So that'll be... That'll be interesting. But looking forward to that that road trip and we'll run into Nishad and, and the Thai team and we'll be following that rather closely. So if you are at Marnica Oval or you are in the surrounds of, of Canberra, make sure to get around the, the Thai team there. Of course, they're playing in Perth first as well. They're also playing uh, one of their group games at the Sydney Showground as well. So if you're in Sydney or wherever Thailand are playing for this World Cup, do make sure to, to get out and, and give them your support. I know that it's very, very difficult being in a new country and playing against you know some of the world's best. But if we do get as many fans out there for them as as we can Um, it might make things a little bit easier some news to wrap up this week's show Scotland's George Munsey has been signed by the Pocker Rhinos for the 2020 Everest Premier League Munsey is likely to open the batting with Chris Gale for the franchise Pocker also announced the signing of West Indian quick Keswick Williams earlier in the week and in more T20 news, Namibia have launched their four-team franchise league this week. In the draft, four senior Namibia internationals and four Namibia under-19 players were selected for each franchise, with the tournament beginning on March 14. To keep up with news from Cricket's New World, make sure to follow Emerging Cricket on your favourite social media platform and make sure to give us a five-star rating wherever you are listening to the podcast. For now, on behalf of Nick Skinner and myself, Daniel Beswick, as well as the absent Tim Cutler, enjoy the rest of your day wherever you are around the cricketing world.